through 11 today. My intent today is to try and take you on a journey that God took Moses on. In Exodus 20, we have the recorded message where God pulls Moses aside to the mountain and says, let's talk. When Israel gets to the promised land, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about 10 potential problems, and I want you to go back down there and tell them. Let them know I'm concerned about three big, big areas. One, I'm concerned with how they relate to me. I want you to talk about how they interact with me. And I'm concerned that when it comes to interacting with me, they won't be consistent. Secondly, I'm concerned with how they manage themselves. Their own personal lives will be out of balance. Thirdly, I'm concerned with how they minister or how they manage or deal with others. In relationship to how they deal with me, he said, I'm concerned with, number one, they'll put other gods before me. So he wrote it down, thou shalt not have any other god before me. And then he said, secondly, I'm concerned that they will take images and carve them. They'll carve their own God and make me look like what they want me to look. They'll make me a Baptist if they're not careful. They'll make me a Pentecostal. They'll make me black. They'll make me white. They'll make me Asian. They'll make me an American. They will carve me into their own image. Thirdly, if they're not careful, what they'll do is they'll turn around and they'll use my name in vain. And that's not just about cursing. That's about taking his name places and embarrassing him, basically. Living inconsistently with the name you claim you bear or you put on your T-shirt. You say you love Jesus with all your heart on the back, right? But when I look at your life, listen to your words, how you behave, I don't get that. That's, what, that's the first whole section he talked about. I'm concerned about them. Their relationship with me is not going to stay strong. And then he says, I'm also concerned, remember, about them never having a Sabbath. They will never rest. They'll get to working and going and doing and talking on their phones and talking on their phones and talking on their phones and working and working, and they will never stop. And what will happen is, if you're not careful, they'll spend all their time. You ever just doing this all the time? You ever seen people? This is it every day. How you doing? Fine. What you doing? Nothing. I'm just sitting here, just, just sitting here looking. And they spend all their life, all their time, all their days, all their world sitting here on their phones. You ever try to talk to them? They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't talk to you because what are they doing? They're on their phone. You ever go to dinner with people and they do this all day long? They do this. How you doing? Fine. And good to see you, baby. Hope your day was good. That's it. And so everything is about this. They'll never stop. And these gadgets, boy, I'll tell you, they let you take it with you, don't they? Man, they can follow you around. I, I love mine. I love my gadgets. They're amazing. They'll let, they let me do all kind of stuff. I think they're fun. I love living in this age. But if you're never care, not careful, you'll never Sabbath. And that's what God's concern was when he talked to Moses. And then he said, lastly, I'm concerned that they'll just become mean to other people. It'll start in their families because they'll be unkind to their parents and they won't honor their parents. So he said, thou shalt, thou shalt honor thy parents. It was one of the strong commandments on the list. And he then went on to say that I'm also concerned that not only will they not honor their parents, they'll become violent. Murder will become a part of their life. And then I'm concerned that they will start stealing. And then I'm concerned that they'll start lying. 
And then I'm also concerned that they'll start coveting, covetousness, spending their whole life lusting after what somebody else has, wanting to take away somebody else's wealth or resources. And those are the ten concerns he has. He's concerned about how they're going to relate to him, themselves, and others. Now, here's the question. Where do you stand in all those areas of your life? Today, we talk about the area of Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment, and our focus is to simply point out two simple truths, just two things. Here's what the Bible says in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. Holy. The word holy means separate. It, it really is a strong word. It just in the New Testament, hagios is a New Testament word. It just means separate. That this is this is over here, not over there. Six days, read this out loud with me, please. Come on. Six days you shall labor all and do what? Okay, six days you shall do what? Labor and do all your work. Now I want you to read this really slow. Six days you shall labor. Pause right there. I want you to work. He starts the conversation off about the Sabbath by talking about work. I do not want you to stop working. And working is not just a nine to five. If I can get that out of your mind, because there are various seasons of your life. There's a series I want to do called a courageous conversation about seasons because I want to talk about how the seasons affect everything. And I better not even get on that road because I have a lot I want to say about that. I tell people when they marry somebody, it says age is not a number, it's a season. And make sure you understand the season the person's in. There's something powerful about seasons. Well, anyway, so there's this amazing moment where God looks at them and says, all right, I want you to be clear. Be clear that there is a season when you labor and it's six days a week. I want you to understand the power of being engaged. And again, that's not just a nine-to-five job. Get that out of your mind. Don't think I'm saying go clock in with somebody. Because if you're at a season where you're retired from your, your career, uh, one day I won't be Pastor Rick. One day I'll be Ricky whatever doing something. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I've been doing this for 36 years. And I plan to do it for another 20. I don't have any problem with that. 15, 20 years. I don't have any problem with that. And, I, and as long as I stay healthy, and I plan to, uh, as long as I exercise, and I plan to, uh, as long as I can run, and I still can. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, why, why not continue? But at some point, at some point, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, the day will come when you will and I will agree that it's time for me to do something else. Now, what I'm doing is working on that right now. So I feel like there's an, it's an important process. So understanding, I understand there's a season when I get to do this and a season when I get to do something else. Some of you are in the other season. You're no longer at that job. But you, if you're not careful, you think you still don't work. You've got to be careful. Uh, six days you shall do what? Work. Labor and do your work. I want you to, I challenge the idea that you should become totally inactive. I challenge that. As long as you can be active, I think you should be. Six days you shall labor, but then he says this, and do all of your work within that period of time. Notice he blocks the work off. The work starts and the work ends. It's a beginning and an ending. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. A beginning and an ending. There should be a beginning and an ending to your work. You shall do it all in six days, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it... You shall, read this with me, please. Come on, I put in bold print. Shall what? Do no work. You do no work. You nor your son 
nor your daughter, nor your, not, I love this. Please notice who he includes. He says, you shall not work. He says, your daughter shall not work. Your male servant shall not work. Your female servant shall not work. Male and female. Men don't work harder than women, and women don't work harder than men. In other words, I want everybody to rest. It's not just, you know, the men get to rest and the women don't. The women get to rest and the men don't. He said, I want the male servants and the female servants. Everybody on the staff gets to rest. Everybody in the family gets to rest. Nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates. For in six, in six, in the six, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. He's your model, see? He made everything in six days, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, please be clear what he's saying. Here's what he's saying in Mark 2, 27, kind of makes it come home. Jesus responds to this conversation, and here's what he said. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In the Message Bible, it says the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. In other words, there's this strange idea that we've developed in religious circles, that somehow the Sabbath controls us. That's not true. It was designed to help us. And let me just say this. It may really surprise you. This is not about going to church. I mean, that's, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about gathering together. You know, Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together after the manner of some. Acts 2.41 says, they got together in fellowship and breaking bread. There's a lot in the Bible. There's whole books written and dedicated, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. There's a lot of places in the Bible you can go to talk about the importance of gathering. This is not, this is not a verse or a principle that really is all about church gathering. Please understand, this is not a Sabbath for me. I am working today. Did anybody figure that out yet? And it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's so to, to make this the only Sabbath, you missed the point. I am, the Sabbath is truly, the technical Sabbath is the seventh day, which is on Saturday. But, that, but you, get, you, you lose the point if you make it about a church service. I'm not against the church service. Like I said, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about it. This is more about you. God's talking to Moses on the mountain. This is where the conversation starts. And he says, Moses, I'm concerned that they won't stop. You don't stop. And here's what he says. It's so profound. He lists five areas that he wanted them to face, and I believe it's what I call the call to rest. The call to rest says this, you shall not work, your family shall not work, your staff shall not work, your money-making tools, that's your cattle, they use cattle to plow the field. I want you to shut off all the money-making tools, all of it, and I want you to even tell your guests People who come into your life and stop you from having a Sabbath, often it's a friend who stops by or somebody who wants to always intrude on the day you're resting. You need to say, listen, this is not the day for me to entertain. This is my Sabbath day. And there's something really valuable about that. There's something profound about it. And I want to say that I think that is an area that we miss. And God said to Moses, I'm concerned. Because here's what happens. What happens when you don't rest? I think everything else falls apart because the next list of five things on the, on the Ten Commandments have to do with bad family, bad crime, stealing. Everything falls apart. If you're not okay, things aren't okay. Watch the flow of this. If your relationship with God's not right and you're not taking care of yourself, everything else falls apart. Somehow we just act like we don't know why it's so bad. 
We act like we don't know why there's so much crime. We, act like we don't know why, and we're confused. And we think, well, this, you know, I'm not putting these efforts down, by the way, be clear. I'm not putting these efforts down to get a new police chief, get a new policeman. Get, I don't, all that's great. I'm a big believer in supporting law enforcement. But that's not what will fix everything. There's something about you understanding that a lot of your anger and frustration is because you're not rested. Something's wrong with your life and your balance. Yeah, let me ask this. I want you to see how many people will confess this. Now, this is in church. Let's see if you're going to tell me the truth, okay? This is a test. How many of you have ever gotten angry before? Raise your hand. There you go. Ah, see, this is good. We're doing great. Ready? One more question. How many of you, after you were angry, you looked back and saw, I was just tired? Raise your hand. Right? You're just tired. You're out of whack. You look back and you realize, and let's try this one more time because everybody didn't raise their hand, right? How many of you have been angry? You look back and said, I shouldn't have gotten angry about that. Raise your hand. There you go. See, all of us, all of us have been in bad places emotional. And I, I, I trace a lot of it to not having balance. So that's the big part of this sermon. And I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to ask yourself, <clears throat> am I the kind of person who lives his or her life out of balance? Am I the kind of person who lives my life on the go? And then I celebrate it. It's like, this is, this is the way I live. Some people brag about getting three or four hours of sleep. You brag about not ever taking a nap. <clears throat> you brag about how hard you drive. But if you drive yourself, and you never just take a break and do this, sometimes in life you should just take a break, it's like, <clears throat> break time. I'm not working that hard today. How many of you had a, just a do-nothing day? <clears throat> what do you do on your do-nothing, absolutely do-nothing days? <clears throat> name nothing. Come on, name, name nothing. TV and a nap. Come on, raise your hand. Let me see. What do you do on your nothing day? What do you do, Bobby, on your nothing day? TV and a nap in that chair, right? In that chair, right? There's a holy chair in his house. What, what do you do back in the back? TV and a nap. Lord have mercy. TV and a nap. What do you do back there? You read. Somebody else, what do you do? Fish. Lord have mercy. Fish. What's your favorite fish? Whiting. Go, man. Sheila Bishop, what do you do when you do nothing day? When you're doing nothing, Mr. Administrator of the church, tell me what you do. Go shopping, take a nap, <laughs> go out to dinner, hang out. You just got a lot going on, don't you, don't you? <laughs> Relax. You still going? Relax. Okay. <laughs> I thought we'd have moved on. She's still rolling. <laughs> you know what I think is amazing? I think it's amazing how people sometimes can... Lose that ability. Diane has these, um, she has a purple chair. She told me to buy her a purple chair. For, it's in our bedroom. We got this purple chair. And it was like her, then she moved to, see, she got other places in the house now. She likes to go and just absolutely stretch out and uh, be lost all day. And we look awful. I should bring a picture. We look pretty bad. It's a horrible looking day. Hairs everywhere. It's just not what you want to see. But there's something about learning how to do that and then learning this. 
It's not every year. Say that with me. Come on. Come on. Say it's not once a year. It's not once a month. It's not, it's not once a quarter. Come on. Say it's once a week. You have to stop every week. And you have to make that a priority. It is the sole reason why I think my marriage has lasted for 37 years. And I, I think it's the sole reason why I think my kids still like me. And it's the reason why I can get up here and be okay. You've seen preachers, and you say, something wrong, something wrong with him. You don't know what it is. You just go, I don't know what that is, but there's something in him. Boy, it's a little off. And a lot of times it's just he's tired. Tired of the weight, tired of the pressure, tired. And you never stop. And the church schedule makes you tired. They're never off. There's never any slowdown periods. That's why we don't have midweek services all the time. We have them during seasons. That's why we, we don't have a schedule that demands that we come back Sunday night. There's something about giving people a chance to really go fight in the war. In some churches, you spend all your time in the barracks marching around, preparing for battles. It's like, it's like going to the field too much in the military. At some point, we don't need to just go to the field. We need to make sure that we, we are balanced in our life. And there's a time when you get to the place that you realize you're not. So repeat with me, please. Say, the call to rest, the call to rest. and the call to work. And I love the fact that God modeled for us the work part of this. And I want to close out the talk today with that part of the conversation because I think that's important. The work part is often lost, and I, I, I want to say Paul spoke to this so clearly, and he, he really uses this as an example for us to learn from in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 6 through 15. In this discussion, he raises the question that some people often miss. We like the Sabbath rest part sometimes. We want to hear that part. But could there be a problem with the way you live that could be causing you trouble? If you notice the topic of this talk today is, repeat it with me please, say, what, what? are you doing to yourself? My argument today is that you can hurt yourself by not resting, and you can hurt yourself by not working. On both sides of this argument. Sometimes your work ethic is your problem. And there's nobody to tell you. Because you've, you've not allowed those kind of people into your life. And oftentimes we block out people who, would, who could help us. We block out people that can give us guidance. We don't want anybody to look at us and say, these horrible words. Now, it used to be you had a mother or and mamas, I think mamas say this more than daddies. Daddies say it sometimes. But I don't know. My, I heard my mother, I was raised by my mother, so I heard her say, don't be a trifling. No, you can't. You got to say it like she said it. You can't. Trifling. Lazy. No good for nothing, man. Mm, used to go through me like a knife. Just, uh. Get up out that bed. Don't you be a what? Trifling. Ooh. Just Pick up those clothes. Don't be trifling. Ooh. Okay, babe. That's nothing. Bring it back. And she, she wasn't calling. She, just, she didn't tell me I was trifling. She was admonishing me not to become that way. And I mean, there was, this, there was just a certain... Um, 
there's just certain standards of work ethic that was, was driven into my mind. But if you're not careful, here's what's true. Now, hear this, hear this right. We all have been tempted to be lazy. Now, let's see if we'll all confess that before God in church, before our friends. <laughs> have you ever been tempted to be lazy? <laughs> now, if I was nosy, I'd ask you when. <laughs> but we all have been tempted to be lazy. You don't want to get up. You don't want to go. You don't want to do this. I mean, you don't. There, there are times when, when it, you know, these sermons, they come real fast. They come, they come, oh boy, they come real fast. You know, I have, a, I have a, a team that works with me, and I write the sermon. I need to say this because somebody thought they wrote the sermon. They don't write the sermon. I write the sermons, and then we have what we call this a talk-through. And so if I'm doing, like, for example, last week I taught, uh, let's see, I taught Thursday in an hour-and-a-half session out of town. Then I taught 30 minutes, so I taught two hours out of town last week. So that's two hours of material we had to review. And then... Um, we had, uh, we normally will have, depending on what I'm doing, we, we, we know it's a lot of work. So, so when, when, when we meet, they go, boy, we, we have another one? We have another one? We have another one? Boy, oh boy, it's a lot of them. And, and at the end of the day, it is. And there are times you just don't want to, you don't want to prepare anything. You just say, just get up and say, Jesus wept. Let's praise God. And let's, you know, let's just, <laughs> that's, that's why some preachers, honest to God, that's why some preachers, they just worship. I feel the spirit. Don't you feel him? I feel him. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, people. Come on. If I set you, you know, that's because you don't have anything to say. <laughs> I, I know. I, well, they tell me that. That's what friends tell me. Man, I, didn't, I didn't have time to prepare no sermon, man. I just let the spirit lead me. Just, you know, you got a Bible here. Let me show you how you do it. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Here. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me your Bible here. Watch this. Bam. All right. When you ain't got nothing prepared, this is what you do. You ready? All right, praise God. Jeremiah 25, the Lord that came. God ever came to you? You know, God come to you sometime. God will come to you. You need him to come. The Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the people of Judah. You know, God will come talk to you about people. And you just, just, just that's what you do. You see, just make it work. <laughs> some, of you must, some of you must have heard that sermon. Some of you... <laughs> Just make it up as you go, man. You can shoot. What? Sermons be coming. That's why, let me say, Diane's a good preacher. How many of y'all like Diane preaching? Look, here's what Diane tell me. I ain't doing that all the time. Diane will tell me in a minute. Look, I'm not doing that all the time now. I said, don't you want to preach once a month? She said, nope. Nope. Let me make you clear. I'll help you out. The Lord called me to help you. But, brother, let's be clear. That's your calling. Ricky says, my life is one big term paper. That's what he says. That's my son's summation. Your life is one big term paper, Daddy. No, I'm not calling that. Don't nobody need to ask me that. No. Now, the only, the only one who ain't afraid of is Christina. She run at it. Like, like, oh, she, that's, maybe that's God's gift on her life. But, but there's something about understanding there is a labor part to this. And, and if you're called to something that does not challenge you, you're not called to the right thing. There's something that should challenge you and push you. And there are times this pushes me. And here's what he says. Watch this. God modeled it for us. That my job in the six days, Lord, made the heavens and the earth. He was making something. What are you making in your life? You should be making something. There should be this sense of creation and adventure in your life. And I don't say, listen, and stop telling me how old you are. Let's get on my last nerve with that. 
I'm entering into a new season. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bother all you older people. You are about to hear from me because I'm telling you I'm so sick and tired of hearing about I'm almost, I'm 62. I'm 59. I'll be 60 in April. Say amen. amen. Come on, amen. I'll be 60 in April. April 26. Write that down. I'll be 60. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good, baby. Amen. Happy birthday, Zebra. Anyway, but what's powerful is this. Here's, what's, here's, the, here's the thing. When you, when you look at the average thinking, and I'm studying about us right now. I bought 11 books on it. It's true. I did. I got 11 books. I'm, about, I, I'm buying books and reading about I read ahead of my seasons. I'm amazed at how when you get to certain ages, you think you're not supposed to work. For what reason? I mean, you're not even trying to make money. You're not trying to do anything. You just have accepted it. This is where you are. And, and, and there's a sense of, and give me my chair, would you please? There's a sense that somehow you're supposed to just, just accept your, your income. Colonel Sanders, was, I said all the time, was in the 60s when he, when he started KFC. Some of you would never have had that good chicken if you didn't work. He didn't work. <laughs> even though you better watch it because there's a whole bunch of, I won't, let, me, let me talk about the health part of that, you know. But, you know, there, there's something about you just, just, you're supposed to sit here. The, the only question I'm asked now, and this is the truth, the only question I'm asked right now at my season of my life is, who are you going to give the church to? I said, really? I mean, I'm open to that. We have discussions. We have a plan. We have a secession plan and all that. But, well, what is our, you know, we've had secession discussions. You know, you, I, I think God raises up who he wants to be the head of the church. I don't get to do that all the time, you know. I have my own ideas and plans, and I think it's, it's a good steward strategy to have a plan. But God is the one. Come on, say amen, right? right. God's the one. But, but notice the temptation for me is to somehow retire from work. No more dreaming. No more buildings. No more nothing. Just give up. Just, we're just here. And, and then, you know, the staff looks at you, and it's like, well, what are we doing? Well, we're just kind of churching. We're just Sunday, Wednesday maybe, and then, you know, I go preach someplace, and what is that? No, I, I, I believe that there's something healthy about struggling and striving and trying. You know, we, 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 uh, we, we've been working on some book projects, and we finished the book. It didn't like it, so I started over again. So everybody say amen. amen. Got to keep working. I got two more books, projects. On. We're working hard. I'm working. I'm telling you. I'm studying. You'll love it when you get it. But, hey, I just feel like that's what I need to be. I need to be pushed. I need to try. Have you given up on being engaged with your life? Why would you not be? You're smarter than you've ever been. You done made so many mistakes, you would be rich by now if you did it starting now. You know how to waste money. You know how to save money. You, you know how to be crazy. You've been crazy. You've been a fool full time for years. Some of you got 20 years being a fool. Now you can be wise for 20 years. Come on, talk to me. Say amen. You know exactly what not to do. So now is the time to believe. But I'm telling you, since I stepped into this area now, and I'm in this seniors area, I'm a senior. And so now I get discounts. I got a discount the other day. It was really amazing. I had a discount. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not careful, you give up on your life. Six days. Come on, say six days. You shall labor. Come on, say six days. You shall, labor. you shall labor. Don't be afraid to labor. Don't be afraid to work. Here's what Paul said to the people who don't. You ready? And I close with this. It's important. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul said this so well. Don't be disorderly. 
We command you, brethren, in verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we, verse 8, eat anyone's bread for free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he do what? First two points he makes is this. Stay with me. Flip the page back. See, that's the problem getting your notes. See, you get ahead of me. (laughs) Hang with me. The first thing he says is don't be disorderly, which means don't be rebellious. Don't be rebellious, don't be irresponsible, don't be undisciplined, and don't be lazy. That's what that word disorderly means. He was concerned that they would become undisciplined, irresponsible, undis- uh, lazy, and rebellious. That's where the Thessalonian church landed. And then he said to them, I want you guys to pay your own way. I don't want you to just be a spectator. I want you, I want you to be engaged in the cost. I want you to feel responsible for what it costs to do this, what it costs to do ministry. I think, and I say this with, um, because I felt this a little bit yesterday when I taught this. Somehow, I I think, let me just speak from my side of the bridge for a minute, from, from where I stand. I don't. I think some people really don't understand how it feels to lead people and um, when they struggle with paying their way. For example, has anybody ever moved in your house and, and they live for free but they don't know it? <laughs> they moved in, you're helping them, and they somehow think all the groceries appear they think all the lights are paid for for free. Maybe you're in here and I'm helping you right now. But there's a sense of you ha- it hasn't dawned on you there's a cost attached to this. Yeah, I mean, there are people, honest to God, who really believe their mission in life is to find a man with money. That's, and they'll tell you, I need to find a guy with some money. I don't want a broke man. I need, I need a brother that can pay my way. They believe that. My mother and I used to have this wonderful little conversation. She used to tease me sometimes. She said, when I get married, I want a man to bring me the check. She said me that. I said, well, mom, you need to look in the one ass and see if they said, man looking for a woman who wants check. See, <laughs> so you're being smart, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, babe, look in the yellow, look in the, look in the one ass. Now, in this culture, let me say what's happening. I'm doing this great study. Um, and I'm not recommending these books because these books, read them at your own risk. Some of them got special words in them. Uh, <laughs> but one I'm reading is called The Demise of Men. It's, it's an interesting read. Um, I probably shouldn't, but I probably will. Pray for me. Um, everyone, everyone knows a young man, it says, who's struggling. Maybe he's under-motivated in school, has emotional disturbances, doesn't get along with others, has a few real uh, friends, and goes on and says this. 
Society is not giving the support, means, or places for these young men to even be motivated or interested in aspiring for these things. It goes on to say, consequently, many guys lack purposeful direction and basic social skills. Many of them are, now take this right, take this right. Many of them are living off and often with their parents well into their 20s and 30s, expanding their childhood into an age once reserved for starting a family and making a career. Now, I understand that in this generation, in this economy, don't feel bad if you're in your 20s and 30s in your home, okay? That's not, that's not, that's not, that's, that's not, that, sometimes that's a smart thing, okay? But it's, it's one thing for it to be intentional and you're working hard. It's another thing because you have lost your ability to work. Amen. Come on, say amen if you're with me, right? Amen. There's a difference between that. Sometimes it's really smart. I had a friend of mine, he has this big house and he, he has like three, four floors in his house. And his, his daughter and her son-in-law moved in with him. And they had like 3,000 square feet to themselves. And so they asked him, why are you living with your daddy? Huh, you crazy? <laughs> he said, it's free. He told me to save my money. So they all moved in. They got their own wing. So, I mean, there's a place where it makes sense. You know, it don't have to be a house that big, but it can be good, good, good economic sense. But what's amazing is sometimes I think, you don't realize you have become, you could, you, you could be, as a guy, as a woman, you could become lazy. You just, you just don't have any ambition. And no one's, no one's in your life that has the permission to tell you that. But Paul said, I hear there are people like this in Thessalonica, and I want you to know, I told you, we modeled for you, and if any will not work, they should not eat. So they should pay their own way with you. When we were, we were with you, we worked, he said in verse 8, night and day. This is not about a nine-to-five job. Get that out of your mind. I'm not talking about going and sign up for the factory. I'm simply saying you should be engaged. If you are home all day, then the house should be spotless. Things should be organized. You should be engaged. There should be this sense of involvement. Can I get an Amen. You, you need to, you need, and there's a value to that, by the way. They say a, a stay-at-home mom is worth $45,000, $50,000 a year. If you don't believe me, hire a cook, hire somebody to clean your house, hire all those different jobs, and you'll see, uh, pick up your uh, drivers, put all that together, it's expensive. So there's, there's, no, there's no need for you to feel like you don't have value because you're not on a job. Whether you be the guy in the season or you're a retired guy, whatever, my big point is, Notice the danger of feeling like you don't have to pay your own way, that you don't have to contribute to the process. So, there's something of value to that. Now, if I'm preaching good, say amen if you're hearing me. This one said, don't be disorderly, pay your own way. Then he says this, verse three, number three, work and don't be a busybody. Don't sit around nosing in other people's lives. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, the, those are... Those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Number four, and this is the last point for today, I want you to, he says, stay engaged. Can, can you say stay energized? Stay energized. stay energized. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. I want you to work. I want you to stay engaged. I want your life to be engaging. Now, that's what I call the... Um, I called it the, what did I call it? I called it the poetic way. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this. I'll let you read it on your own. 
This is the down-home country ghetto way to say it. Don't be lazy. Uh, pay your own way. Work. Don't be good for nothing. You know? <laughs> engage the lazy. He said, when you engage people, when you deal with people like this, put your arms around them. And people that are struggling, this is really important. People that are struggling, put your arms around them and don't treat them like enemies. It's so easy for you, if you're not careful, to think that when a person's struggling with being lazy, that somehow they're bad. No. Sometimes they just don't have anybody to inspire them. The Bible says what you ought to do is we don't sit down. We, we, our job is to love people and encourage people and to bless them. Our job is not to judge them and be mean to them. Sometimes in life, people are the way they are because that's all they know. That's all they've been around. Their family's like that. Their children are like that. And sometimes, and if I'm honest, I've seen it. I've seen it up close in my own family. I've seen people that I think should have more ambition, but they don't. My job is not to treat them like enemies, but to put my arms around them. Sometimes I'm supposed to help them. Sometimes I'm supposed to give them an extra boost. Sometimes you need to help pay the rent. Sometimes you need to be there for them. You can't treat them like enemies. you got to treat them like brothers. you got to put your arms around them. If a brother's overtaken in a fault, what do you do? You restore them. I'm not preaching this sermon to in any way say be mean to people. I'm saying God had two concerns, he told Moses. One, he says, I'm concerned they won't work. And I'm concerned that they won't rest. And the big concern I have is they won't stop. For most of you, your biggest problem is not the work side. For some of you, that may be true. For most of you, the problem is the rest side. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray that what we said today has been helpful. I pray that what we said today has been inspirational. I pray they leave this place motivated to change, motivated to learn and grow, motivated to lift their hearts and minds to a new place. It's not easy to stop. Life is pushing you to go fast and faster and faster and faster. But help us to see the power of, of Sabbath every week. Secondly, Father, it's hard to face the fact that maybe we've not been as engaged in work as we should. Look around our house and you go, come on, this, this place can't be like this now. Come on. We've we, we got to do something about this. We, we can't let it look like this. And so, a little bit at a time, we just begin to clean it up, clean it up. Sometimes we look at our finances and it's just, just all out of whack. It's time to sit down. It's okay, let's not get all upset. Just take a break, slow it down, and just deal with it. Father, help us today. Help us to see the power of just taking our lives and working the pieces. Success comes in pieces. And learning the power of balance. Now I want you to lift your head. I want to tell you one story before I close out. I read this wonderful book. I think her name is Elizabeth Crook. She wrote a book and she talked about, um, she, made, she made this comment. I think it's called Living Large is the name of the book. And she was talking about one of the living large. And she said one of the things that was, what would stop her from advancing in her life, the book is about how you, how you, um, get to the next choice, how you evolve to the next place in your life. And she said There's, there, there are three J's that stop you from advancing. These three J's affect your thinking. A lot of times you can't get to the next place in your life because of the way you think. Okay? Here's what she said. The first J 
is judgment. I spend a lot of time judging myself, being pretty mean to me. And then the next thing I do after I judge myself is I become my own jury. So I become the judge and the jury, and then I become the jailer. Can you say all three? Come on, say judge, jury, and jailer. Are you your own judge or your own jury or you your own jailer? You got yourself jailed behind the wall of guilt because you don't make enough money. Jail, you, you, you've locked yourself behind some wall because you're a little bit overweight. You, you, you're your own judge. You're your own jury. You're your own jailer. Your marriage didn't work, so now you, you got yourself in a, in a guilt jail looking out through the bars of misery. I just, I, I read that this week. It just lifted, I mean, it just inspired me because in Christian thought, there are things, there are habits that are unhealthy. In the desire to grow in Jesus, you feel guilty a lot of times. In your desire to mature, sometimes if you're not careful, you teach people that there's always something wrong with you. And then there's this, I'm, I'm going to do a whole teaching on this whole thing because it really touched me when I thought about it. Because part of what we say to people is, okay, if I, if, I'm, if I sin, if I fail, if I have an issue, if I have a problem, then there's something really evil about me naturally. Paul said, in me that is in, in my flesh that dwells no good thing. So what I do with that is I, I take that and I overread it. I overread it. It's true that without Christ, I have issues. But if I read that to mean I'm not worth anything, why did Jesus die for me? Why does he so love me if I'm nothing? And Christians say this all the time. Come on. You like that part? Come on, amen. You know what I mean? We, we act as we, we judge ourselves. Some of you, all of us in here have an issue. Something you're working through. Something you don't want anybody to know about in your past. But in the middle of all of that, stop judging yourself. Stop being your own jury. Let yourself out of jail. Can we say amen to that? Can you let yourself out of jail? Father, let us leave this place today inspired to not let the three J's control us. We need to look at the things in our life that aren't right and, and address them, but that doesn't mean we live in this jail of guilt. Just because a few pounds are where you don't want them to be, don't live in the jail of guilt. And just because you don't have the money you want or you made a bad financial decision or you lost your job or whatever it is, you don't live where you want to live, get out of the jail. Stop going home and judging your house. Just clean up what you got. And so, Father, I give you praise and glory. And honor. lift your hands up high. Free your people today. May they leave this place free, whether they be here or at home. And may they say, in Jesus' name, I will not be bound. I will not allow myself to be bound by those three J's again. I accept the call of God on my life to rest, and I accept the call of God on my life to work, and I will, I will embrace my life with confidence and faith in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed, every hand down for a second, I'm going to pray one last prayer. Father, if there's anybody in this room who'd say, Pastor, I realize after hearing this sermon, my issue is my walk with God, and I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to make a conscious decision to surrender my life to Jesus today. And I want you to pray for me, Pastor. I'm just saying that I know I have not been serving God, but I want you to pray for me. So in the seat where you're, right where you're sitting, I'm not going to call you up front. 
I want you simply to raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I know what you said. I see your hand. Anybody else saying, pray for me, Pastor? I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else saying, pray, pray for me, Pastor? I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me? I need to start my life with you. I see you. God bless you. Anybody else saying, pray for me, Pastor? I want to start a life with Jesus today. I want to, I want to leave this place right with God. All right? If you're, if with every hand lifted, please, everybody lift your hands. Every hand lifted. Father, we pray for those who are here, those who are home, those who did not raise their hands, but they raised their hearts. Let this be the moment that they say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I trust you. And I believe that this is the beginning of a new journey for me. Thank you, Lord God, that you call me not to wear myself out in life, but to come and trust you. You said, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're not trying to wear us out. You're trying to lift us up. And so I give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. God bless you. Now, listen, thank you for coming today.